Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. This week we are meeting early to have a chat about Westworld Season 3, Episode 5. I don't know the name of this episode. Gerald, tell me what this episode was called. It's called Genres. Genres. Okay. So, I'm joined tonight by Gerald, Anager, and Mags. Uh, say hello, everyone. Hi. Um, Howdy. So, this was an interesting episode of Westworld. It's going to be a full spoilers podcast, as usual. And I'm going to start by just giving a quick account of the major plot lines that happened this episode. And then we'll get into the discussion of whether we like this episode or not. Spoilers, I think we didn't like this episode. But anyway. Um, this episode basically starts off from last week after the rich people debauched Caligula party that they went to. And um, Dolores um, basically kidnaps um, Liam Dempsey, right? The guy who is apparently the... Uh, the, one of the owners of Insight, this um, company that has everyone's data and is controlling everyone's fate. So we go on this merry chase with Dolores, Caleb, and Liam Dempsey in a self-driving car. Um, there's a weird car chase mixed in the, all of this as well. Like one of the um, Caleb, Jesse Pinkman, gets stabbed with the genre drug, I want to say. Um, it, was that was that the name of the drug? Anyway, like... Yes, that was the name of the drug. Yeah. Hence he, the name of the episode. Yeah, he gets stuck with this drug and he goes on what is supposed to be a um, drug trip, which is linked with a car chase, a shootout. Um, yeah, so there's a car chase and a shootout and it's filmed in this really bizarre way because apparently it's meant to be a drug trip. Anyway, so they... The whole point of all of this is that they secure Liam Dempsey's private passcode or something like that to the Rehoboam, like the big circular AI that's sitting in a corporate lobby. And um, they secure Liam's password to that, and Dolores basically releases all of the information of the AI or all of the personal information that the AI has on people and the AI's predictions of what people's lives will be to everyone's phone. So everyone now knows what Insight and Rehoboam think about them. Um, meanwhile, there is a secondary plot in which um, we see uh, Serac, Engaro Serac, I think his name is, um, the mastermind behind Rehoboam, we hear his backstory, and his backstory is basically that he and his brother were kids when uh, that were living in Paris, and one day Paris gets destroyed, and they vow that they can't let humanity destroy itself, so the way to not let humanity destroy itself is to build this massive AI that can basically take everybody's data and calculate what, calculate the future of humanity, right? Yeah. Uh, we kind of already knew this. We kind of already knew that this is what Rehoboam did. Anyway, so we go through his backstory, and the big twist sort of thing is basically that the um, this AI is able to calculate, basically plot a trajectory that 
in which humanity doesn't destroy itself. So apparently in most trajectories, humanity destroys itself. This AI is able to plot a very, def- like, te- like, basically a, a very tight course for humanity to run. But in order for her- humanity to run that course, everyone needs to be doing exactly what the AI is saying. And there are certain people called outliers that screw up the AI's predictions. So Sorak has been taking those people and putting them in a store, bunch of storage container apartments somewhere, it seems. Anyway, um, Sirak, one of Sirak's brother is seen as one of these outliers. Um, shock, horror, surprise, that sort of thing. Anyway, so we find out that Sirak is willing to do whatever it takes to secure this tight course for humanity that ensures its survival. Um, the end of the episode, Liam Dempsey gets shot um, because basically he's talking too much. Um, and yeah, like Serac and Dolores have a showdown, well, have a showdown kind of. They basically talk to each other and Serac, in his plane that he lives in, I guess, that just flies in the sky, he Serac shakes his fist at Dolores and that is the end of the episode. I still don't really understand what Dolores' plan is. I don't get this show at all. Guys, help me. Someone make sense of the world, because I don't know what <laughs> what's going on. Jerry, manager, who wants to talk first? Well, Daz, there is nothing to make sense of, because <laughs> show evolved into an utter crapshoot. Uh, I think this episode was an absolute disaster uh, on so many levels. It Just on the level of pure filmmaking, it was an utter disaster. That has to have been the lamest, slowest car chase. Yes, oh my God, agreed. It was so bad. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a parody, how slow the cars were going. This, it was this, were they trying to take the piss out of car chases? Because if they were, they succeeded beyond their wildest imagining. This was just... As action filmmaking, totally lame. And, like, did the fact that Caleb Nichols was on genre add a single thing to this episode beyond the fact that it allowed it allowed the filmmakers or the director to experiment with different grades of film stock and to put over the top different um, pieces of music like, you know, Ride of the Valkyrie and the love theme from Lo- and the theme song from Love Story. I mean, what was the point? of Caleb being on genre. Why was it so important, a plot development, that it lent its name to the episode? I, I, for the life of me, don't understand what it added to the episode at all. Like, Answer me this. Had the episode not featured Caleb on genre, would it have made a single difference to what thematically or in terms of character the episode was trying to say? I would hazard to guess not. But... Then one one takes a step back and sort of considers the the, the plot developments. Um, like so, Paris gets destroyed and Serac decides that he has to build a god. I mean, who who actually thinks that way? Who sort of like <laughs> sees their hometown get sort of trashed and thinks and thinks, well, I have to create a god. I mean, like, no, nobody, nobody, no human being of any sort of realistic complexion would respond to a disaster by saying, I need to build my own god. That is stupid beyond belief. I mean, it is such a heavy-handed way 
of developing one of the themes of this season, namely humanity's relationship with divinity and, you know, the creation by humans of the gods they worship. But that, I think, exemplifies one of the problems with the show, namely that in its thematic ambitions, it always goes for the most abstract version of what it could be talking about. So instead of just talking about robots versus humans and the possibility that AI might take the place of humans and the morality of humans dishing out punishment on AI, the first two seasons sought to contemplate the nature of consciousness, even though it had nothing to say about that topic. And instead of just talking about surveillance capitalism and what it means that we're living in this era where our lives are increasingly governed by algorithms, they have to talk about oh, well, what if the algorithms took on a divine character? What does that mean for, 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 for the world we live in? Who cares? Because it's never it, th that's not the issue. The issue is surveillance capitalism rather than the creation of gods. So that's, that's one problem with this, with this particular episode. And then, like, just think about it. Paris gets destroyed, but L.A. and Singapore look like they're in pretty good shape. So... <laughs> Singapore was completely unchanged. So things aren't so bad that, you know, someone has to say, well, let's create our, go our own God, right? So that, that's a problem. And the other thing is, like, what does it say, I mean, what does it say about Sirac's plan? That, like, if you, the, the scene where everyone's personal trajectories is revealed to them has everyone suffering a miserable fate. So what does it say about his solution for saving humankind that every individual has to suffer an absolutely miserable fate um, in order for, for humankind to be preserved. I just think if this is if this is his way of trying to trying to ensure the uh, the perpetuation of the species, he's gone about it in a really cack-handed way. Um, add to that, like just the dumb plot mechanics of the episode. Like there's that there's that sequence in which Martin the Scotsman is leading. Oh, well, Martin the Scotsman who's really Dolores, is leading um, Bernard through the corporate headquarters of Inside when Stubbs just turns up all of a sudden from nowhere. Agreed. Like, how, did, how, did that, how did that happen? Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, 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 I agree. Max and I were like, what? Where, where, how, why is Stubbs so powerful now? Did he get the yeah. power of teleportation? First of all, like... He survived being killed by Dolores. Yeah, exactly. Right? And it's not as if there was anyone around to reboot him because Bernard had been dragged off by Martin the Scotsman. And, and, and he just, the, wherever they were, they were nowhere near inside headquarters at, at, during the, the course of that orgy in the last episode. But somehow he's made his way from the orgy to inside headquarters and timed his exit from wherever he was perfectly to intercept Bernard and Martin the Scotsman. I mean, wow. That has, that, that has, the, the sheer utter pedestrianness of that plotting is, is remarkable. I mean, we are seeing one of the great TV show, TV show meltdowns of all time. I mean, people will, people will look back upon the final season of Game of Thrones as a great example of shitting the bed. But I tell you what. Um, that is that really is nothing compared to what we are we, what we're witnessing is on one level truly majestic. We are seeing people take their artistic reputations and basically committing harakiri with them <laughs> because because I just don't see how anyone 
can assign any cred- credibility to Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan after this. This was this episode was execrable in ways that I cannot possibly, I could not have foreseen, I cannot possibly describe, and that I would never want to subject myself to it again. So, when I was watching this episode, Jerry, the quote from The Dark Knight, which I believe Jonathan Nolan co-wrote, or was involved in the writing of The Dark Knight, I think. Anyway, I could be wrong, but I, I, my memory is that he... There's the quote about how you die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, and... I just felt like that was prophetic and that was meant for Westworld. That line was him writing to himself from the past and that was meant for Westworld because this show has clearly gone on one season too long. Um, anyway, before I respond to um, Joe's comments, Andrew, do you want to... What were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> I don't know how to follow up on that. That was just so... <laughs> Very passionate and vitriolic, but but spot on, I guess. Um, look, all I can say about it is I just all, I just couldn't watch it the first time around at all, and we had to watch it again the second because I just found it so boring. Um, so one of the problems with this genre drug is like not only <laughs> like not only is it really confusing as to why they are doing this, right? But they haven't actually executed what they're going for very well because the only thing that delineates one genre from another is the music. And in one case, that it's black and white. The Instagram filters. It's basically Instagram filters and music, right? That's it. Yeah. Like, they could have used costume. They could have used dialogue. Like, they could have done other... Like, if they're going to do this, why not do it well? Like, why do it so poorly? Like, it just seems really weird. And it just, you know, it made, it, it made you not be able to take the show seriously. But the show takes itself very seriously. You're not meant to be laughing when, you know, uh, the, love, the, the theme from Love Story comes on while they're machine gun people but you can't help but laugh because it's ridiculous um so that was odd i also think they haven't really built this world so not westworld but this world that the humans are in and the characters they haven't built this enough for us to care that it's now being handled right like that's one of the biggest problems westworld we saw enough of it and the characters we cared about them we cared about the world and we cared about what happened to it here you know, well, there's only been four or five or six episodes. We barely know anyone, any of these characters. We don't know this world at all. And we're supposed to care about how it came to be or how it's being, you know, brought down by Dolores. Well, I can't bring myself to care about any of that. So that's another thing. And also, it's, it, we've only had, what, six episodes, but they're not even all in this world. Like, a couple of them are set in Westworld. So we really just haven't like, learnt enough about this world to care about it. And also, I just think that there are too many themes and they're too entangled with each other and I don't understand what the show is trying to say. So, yes, I get that it's it's raising some kind of question about why it is that humans create gods and whether that's a good idea or not. Um, I get that it is trying to show us a parallel between you know, the robots being on loop in Westworld and humans being on loop. You know, they, they did that so blatantly that uh, Bernard actually had to say... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've noticed that this season, 
they have been so much more heavy-handed with that stuff, right? Like, they literally leave nothing for interpretation anymore. It's yeah. Characters literally just say outright, you should be thinking this at this point in time, right? Yeah. Like, I think there's this other bit in this episode where they're on the train, and then, like, Liam Dempsey is explaining, in, like the Rehoboam system and all this type of stuff and the like the Grand Theft Auto guys you know the two like the lady and the guy who are like Caleb's Grand Theft Auto friends they're just sitting there and they're like they're literally just saying to you well like you're taking away my free will and all this stuff and it's just like okay you don't need to tell me this like I get it you don't have to keep hammering this into me right like where's the subtlety here Anyway. Also, I'm really disappointed that, like, I thought that what they were going to try, what they were saying in Westworld is that humans are on their own loop, but but just, hum- like, humans like us, like people in the world where we think that we are making free decisions and there isn't a, a greater power controlling everything we do, but are we nevertheless on our own loops? Like, I thought that was a much more interesting question Correct. than, yeah. oh, we'll actually put them on specific loops. Yeah, and exactly, yeah. That's the question you were asking. Like, I, I, it seems like the scenes are, are getting, like, tangled with each other and, like, detracting from each other. You know, the theme of, like, do we make our own gods? Why do we do it? And the theme of, oh, do, do humans have um, autonomy? Like, these things are just, like, they're not being presented in a coherent way. I don't understand. Mm. You know, I just don't understand what's going on. So I didn't like it, and I've, I, it's, it's an effort now to watch it, which is a shame. Mags? Um, oh, I, I completely agree with Anita and Gerald. Um I absolutely agree that they've really wasted, I think, the chance to um, build on, I think, what was good about season one, which was the time they took to introduce the world and the characters and and then to make us, I guess, care for their fate. I really don't care about the fate of the world presented in, in Westworld now in, in this um, series. Um, and I, I kept thinking about, actually... Avengers Endgame and um, Infinity War, where Doctor Strange went into whatever the world it was that he looked into to find that one, you know, um, scenario where they defeat, what's his name, Thanos? Yeah. And he kind of points, uh, puts his finger up in um, in that major battle scene in Endgame. And I kind of feel like Serac is, they've kind of taken that, idea and story and put that in in this um series which is kind of weird um so i like i that's I mean, that was my profound thought really about this episode and that kind of shows you what i was really thinking <laughs> which is not much about this episode <laughs> also don't forget dolores got shot at the end of this episode and she just zipped up <laughs> she, her jacket and walked where is she going to Dolores earlier on almost collapses in Caleb's lap like it just or like Caleb you know everybody gets their backstory emailed to them but Caleb's sitting around without his backstory yeah how does that make any sense did the writers even care about their own story like did they want it to be consistent or you know be internally coherent I don't know it's it's bizarre yeah Yeah. I, I agree I agree with 
pretty much everything that's been said, right? Like, um, I, I, like the sense, okay, so I actually think at the heart of this show, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy probably sat down and they thought, hey, here are some interesting themes, right? Here are some interesting high concept sci-fi themes, right? What if man creates their own God and in doing so, they take away their own free will, right? You know, like this whole, I, you know, like Rehoboam is this thing where, where your, your destiny is determined, right? And then, so you've basically created your own nightmare sort of thing. Oh, like that's a classic sort of Twilight Zone-ish style sci-fi premise, right? Let's go with that. But then it's kind of like they've thought up that concept and then they haven't done anything else afterwards. They've just kind of gone, well, we can just like sort of glue stuff on top of that and people won't notice that there isn't really a coherent story or that even this concept itself once like the initial idea is exhausted is not actually as interesting right so like i kind of feel like this entire season could probably be condensed into like one interesting black mirror episode and that would be (laughs) thought-provoking and interesting right but the problem is, it's a whole season. It's eight episodes. And when you extend it out over that longer period, those themes no longer become as impactful and as interesting because it's like, well, you're actually not exploring them in any greater depth or, like, sort of posing any interesting new questions to me to make me think about it, right? So, and that's that's a problem. And to add to this problem, they become so self-indulgent. I, like, they're congratulating themselves so much over this high-concept theme that they've forgotten that, hang on, when you have these sorts of long-form series, you can't be like Black Mirror, because Black Mirror survives purely on... The, like, Black Mirror and the Twilight Zone survive purely on the concept, right? You can put sort of, sort of cardboard car- car- cutouts of characters in there, but the concept is what carries it. With Westworld... Season one and season two proved that you can have the concept, but what makes Westworld was what made Westworld interesting definitely in season one was that you had these characters that were actually explored. You had a world, as Anager and Mag said, that is explored, and that's why you want to keep going back. So you're sort of indulging both that high concept and that character-driven story. And this season, it's just like, what is going on? Like they've got this sort of like corporate thriller plot and then this weird action stuff going on none of the characters are fleshed out the world itself feels like a cardboard cutout right like i mean Mm. nowhere does it seem more like a cardboard cutout like i'm definitely they've definitely put money into the cg into this world absolutely agree on that right but then when you walk when like they walk around the subway station this episode the only ad on any monitor is about insight. This world has nothing but insight. Like, well, not, not only that, Daz, but like as they're walking through the train station and riding on the train, then stepping out onto the street, like a couple of things, right? One, it's nighttime when they first head into the train station, and and they're not on the train for very long. And when they come out, it's like midday. Yeah. Um, but set that aside, there just aren't very many people there. It's yeah. just, it's, there's no crowd. There's like, the world is meant to be big, but it actually has very little scope. Correct, correct. The, the actual people in the world, no one in this world feels real, right? Because they've literally spent no time building this world. Like, even though you can populate it with extras, none of those, all of those extras feel like video game 
NPCs, like a, like a, a non-playable character in a video game, right? They're literally just there as environmental dressing, right? So, mm. like, and even the way the humans react to getting their email, like, you know, they come out of it, and I think they're trying to make some sort of statement that, like, the humans get broken in the same way as the hosts. So, you know, in the previous season, when the hosts find out that they're hosts and they're on mm. a loop, they get broken, right? And they start acting up and killing each other and blah, blah, blah. The mm. humans in this world basically start looting and, like, it's it's just insane. Like that is not a human like, I reaction. I know that's the point they're trying to make, but all we see are kind of like four people looting, yeah. and that's that's meant to represent the world descending into chaos. Yeah, and you're like, but that's only four people looting, and an old person driving around on a scooter. Like, there's an old person on a scooter that's meant to show, wow, it's all gone to cats and dogs. Everyone's gone crazy. It's just like, <laughs> what's weird about it is the show has obviously a high budget, right? And so if they wanted to show the world descending into chaos, they could gather, like, hundreds of people for some sort of riot. But for some strange reason, like, the showrunners have gone, hey, it's enough just to show, like, a couple of kids misbehaving, and that can be a stand-in for the entire world descending into absolute bedlam. And you're like, no. Yeah, and more than that, okay, if... Like let's let's play this out in real life, right? If you tomorrow received a message on your phone saying, "Hey, this is your entire life story, and this is what's going to happen to you," like who would read that and go just from an anonymous source and be like, "Oh my god, now I'm going to riot!" Like what? <laughs> like, that's just not the natural reaction. Would be who the hell sent me this spam? This is BS, right? You'd have governments coming out and say, like, this would be like some sort of anonymous thing, whereas just like, this is, I got hacked, or whatever it is, right? People don't just start looting for no, like, it's insane that somehow... That, that's, that's, that kind of exposes why I think it is that Lisa joined Jonathan Nolan and decided to make a show about robots, because they don't know human beings particularly well. How they feel and what they do. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this, this whole and you're right, Jerry. It's so it's such a bizarre episode because not a lot happens, but a lot of budget goes into it, and they try to make you think a lot happens, but really, like, what does Dolores actually do? She goes on a train ride and then goes for a walk along the beach, and then like does some stuff on her iPad. Like, it's it's such a it's such a bizarre sort of episode, and. You know, Jerry, you're absolutely right about the whole and Anager as well. This idea of like, you know, the the whole genre drug stuff with the music and the Instagram filters. Like you know, I thought I thought exactly like Anager did, right? In the sense of if you're gonna go for a really weird style of filmmaking, you have to go all in. But they didn't go all in at all. It was mm. just like kind of half-assed like yeah. weird filmmaking you think about like look what's the what's the classic episode of this like I'm sure there are X-Files episodes like this but for me the one that sticks in my mind is Xena Warrior Princess there's a Xena Warrior Princess episode where it just becomes like a full-on musical right like they stop <laughs> the dumb like sa- like sword and sandals action and it becomes a musical and I'm like okay that was clearly a creative risk episode, right? They were like, we're going to really go nuts 
And that, I thought, was a great episode, because it was like, oh, this is really weird. This sticks in my mind. I'm really glad they did that, because it was a break from the usual programming. This was like, this is not a break from the usual programming. This was like nothing. It was just like, what the hell are they trying to achieve here? This is like, it doesn't, like, it's not like any of those scenes were really, like, reminiscent of black and white movies, apart from the filter. Like, it's not like they were filmed really in that way or anything like that. It's just the same car chase with filters. So yeah, and weird. like there was obviously there was obviously some sort of ambition there. You don't put on Ride of the Valkyries without not intending for people to think of Apocalypse Now, right? And the problem is Ride of the Valkyries played over this slow, lame car chase, <laughs> which is a complete contrast to the absolutely insane operatic battle sequence in Apocalypse Now, over which the same piece of music plays. And so you are th- you, you, you're left thinking to yourself, okay, there's an allusion here to one of the most epic film sequences ever, and you're putting it over one of the worst choreographed car chases anyone will have ever seen. Why? Yeah, the car and chase literally had no sense in- of speed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I thought it was parody. I genuinely thought it was parody. It felt like the scene in Austin Powers a little bit, you know, when the the guy gets slowly crushed by the the roller or whatever it was. It was just like, what's yeah, going yeah, on yeah. here? When, when, yeah, when Christian Slater gets <laughs> uh, gets, gets cr- crushed by the roller and he's standing completely <laughs> okay, on the other guys. side of the room. All right, guys. Which one is worse, the car chase in this episode or the car chase in the Charlie's Angels movie? Uh, this, this episode, definitely. Because, look... Charlie's Angels movie, at least there was a sensation of speed. This episode literally (laughs) felt like it was like, it could have been done by like, you know, sort of ambulatory, you know, the ambulatory aids. It felt like the old people. Yeah, look, this was a a car chase with walking frames. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And then like, so like, at the end of this episode, I watched a little bit of the behind... You know, they have always that behind-the-scenes stinger sort of thing. And they're talking about how, like, they're trying to do this amazing car chase and, like, create this sense of speed. I was like, did you guys watch what you actually put on the screen? It it does not feel fast at all. It's like... Anyway. Like, there's there's this one shot in the car chase when it is an overhead drone shot and you see both the vehicles or all the vehicles going down this one street in the middle of some CBD. And it's meant to be an impressive shot. Like, the drone has obviously flown very, very high. This is not just your ordinary helicopter shot. It looks like a drone shot, and it's being shot from high altitude. And it's meant, it's meant, I think, to give you a sense of, like, the scale of this car chase. And all it looked like were these two slow buggies driving down the street. Yes, yes, yes. It felt like they were observing the speed limits. <laughs> at, at one point, well, I, it is filmed in Singapore, so yes. you know. <laughs> yeah, they probably would have been fine. If they, but at one point, I thought, are they trying to make a commentary about how self-driving cars will never go above the speed limit? Is that <laughs> the point of it? Right? I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> like in the world of Tesla self-driving cars, everyone, all car chases will just be at sixty k's an hour. <laughs> Like what, what I didn't understand was like having seen how slow that 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 glass buggy was, Dolores didn't just say, "Well, screw this for a joke. I'm going to run." Because like, um, 
you could have got wherever they going they were going on foot a whole lot faster than in that than in that little buggy. Well, talk up Dolores suddenly becoming the Terminator, right? Like, what the hell? Look, they were kind of already alluding to her being the Terminator, but yeah, look, Mags already brought this point up. It was so disconcerting how it was just like there's no internal consistency to any of this plotting. Is yeah, it's uh, yeah. I I think I think these. These showrunners, whoever is writing this, is either, I don't know, like, they feel very self-indulgent, right? Um, do we want to talk about Serac and his, like, farm of, like, outliers or whatever it is? Was that yeah. an interesting plot twist or not? I, I... Well, no, but, like, my big question, like, as, as the camera is panning, through all these sort of glass boxes where everyone is being imprisoned is, like, where are the toilets? <laughs> like, like, Anna just suggested that there are these sort of common, there might be some common bathroom somewhere, but, like, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of, like, trapping them in a glass box, right? <laughs> so, what, so, what do they do all day, though? Where, where do they shit? <laughs> That's... <laughs> Look, from the scene of the glass boxes, it looks like all they do all day is make their beds. <laughs> like, everyone there was just making their bed or cleaning their room. What do they do all day? <laughs> like, what? It's not like they're sedated. They're awake. So these people are just okay with their free will, like, <laughs> whatever freedom they have being compromised, and they just sit in this glass cage making their bed all day. What? Yeah. So, so, so bizarre. And basically, like... Serac, what a what a lame moustache twirling villain he's turning yes. out to be. He's become like he gets introduced as this total like I'm controlling the world, and literally the last scene of this episode is him standing in his plane, shaking like Skeletor. Right? It felt like a Skeletor scene where it's like, "Damn you, He Man!" Like, <laughs> you know, like... well, well, you know what he, it's, it's you know when he sort of. When he sort of yeah stamped his foot and had a bit of a tanty, it's yeah. like it's like at the end of in- every Inspector Gadget episode when exactly. the claw chucked a hissy fit over yeah. being beaten by Ga- Inspector Gadget. It was just so so <laughs> lame. And like and like him and like the episode opens well, you know, you see his bit of his childhood and then it, and then the, it cuts to him, you know, sitting down for a confab threatening the president of Brazil, and you're like. Yeah, that's that's fine, but like, really, if, if Serac was the big bad that everyone thinks he is, he would really have far more important people to deal with than the president of Brazil, for God's sake. And they literally, like, if you think if Serac is really that important and has that many resources, he doesn't really have that many guys, right? But like, <laughs> he's how, is, like... How, is, how is Serac being able to to strong arm the president of Brazil, consistent with him being this? secret trillionaire whom no one's ever heard of <laughs> like how does that work yeah exactly right like how how does the prison of brazil know him if no one else knows him don't know don't know it, it, it none of this makes sense right why is there massive like ai brain uh, every time like you know it really concerns me that it feels like it's sitting in a hotel lobby Right? Like, there's glass all... Like, literally anyone can just walk in there, it seems, right? There's glass all around it. Not only is the actual, like, big server in the lobby, so is the sort of interface. (laughs) 
it yes. allows Martin the Scotsman to, to put his <laughs> iPad on it and send everything out into the world. You're like, why is why is that there? And why is there not a single security guard? <laughs> yeah, like, and then the only people that interact with them that even question what they're doing is like that one Asian lady who gets killed in like two seconds. Is she an Asian lady? I'm not sure. Maybe she's, yeah, an, she's Asian. an Asian. Yeah. yeah. She's in Guardians, right? She's the... the, the Vantis. Yeah, Vantis from Guardians, yeah. But she gets introduced as this badass, and she just punks out. Like... <laughs> and she's yeah, literally... but Stubbs... <laughs> but Stubbs lives. Stubbs like, lives, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was really sad to, like... I actually think it was disappointing that Serac is actually a real human being. I liked your idea, Darren, from a few episodes ago where you were postulating that he might actually just be the AI. So yeah, the fact yeah. that he's a human being uh, is actually disappointing. <laughs> yeah, because now you're like, oh, so I can't attribute his insanity to, like, being an AI. He's just a dude who saw the destruction of Paris and thought the solution to that was to create God. Okay. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess like, that's a normal human reaction. Guys, I love Paris. If Paris were, destroyed, were to be destroyed, I would be deeply wounded. But I tell you what, my next thought would not be, well, I must create my own <laughs> Well, I'm going to say one positive thing about this. Okay, so the, pers- the, the part of me that loves statistics really... <laughs> really enjoy the outlier concept because, you know, when you're doing experiments and you're analysing the stats to see if the um, results are, you know, statistically significant, you do get rid of outliers so that you can get statistically significant results. And I thought it was kind of funny that, yep, if they, if they want to achieve the result of humanity surviving, you've got to get rid of those outliers. So there's you know, a small part of me that enjoyed that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so... The other thing that I didn't fully understand is that you see that Serac is this ruthless dude, right, who will do anything to ensure the survival of his model, right? Mm-hmm. And he's willing to kill Liam Liam Dempsey's dad to achieve yeah. that. Why isn't he offing all the other outliers as well? If he's that powerful, why wouldn't just he just have some sort of special forces team go in and just cap him? Like, it, what's his? What's the purpose of creating this drug? Apparently, to he's meant to be benevolent, right? As well, because he's like he's also because Rahabolam is the god, but so is he. So he's like benevolent, or he thinks of himself <laughs> as benevolent. He thinks of himself in that way, so he won't kill them um, unless he really has to. I mean, and here, here, here's the other thing, right? We've been led to believe that the whole reason why Insight is trying to take over Delos is for the data. But as Rehoboam is, is presented in this episode, it's so all-encompassing and knows so much. What further data is there for it to claim besides data that would make the outliers somehow fit its predictions? And then you look at those outliers and you just think, hold on, none of these people fit the demographic that would visit Westworld. So Delos would not have this warehouse of data that, that, that you know corresponds to whatever it is that would allow Serac to understand what what makes the outliers tick and that would be able to predict the way they, they behave and thus make them conform to the algorithmic projections yeah. of Rehoboam. Yeah. It's just stupid. Delos only has rich people data. That's yeah. right. Well, unless, unless, unless the, the reason is actually that they need data on the hosts, 
right? Because they predicted that one of these hosts is going to get out, but they don't understand how to actually predict them, right? So they can't forecast Dolores, for example, right? But then the dumb thing is that kind of, well, what's been shown in Westworld is basically there's no difference really cognitively between humans and hosts. So why is it so hard to forecast a host? Because she basically be- behaves like a vengeful human, Right? But like, not, what's the difference? Not only that, not only that does, but like, what, one thing we've learned from the first two seasons of the show is that Delos can't control the hosts. So, how good can their data on the, on the hosts be? Yeah. Yeah. So, look, I, I have no idea. I'm sure there'll be some really dumb explanation for this. Well, I, I think. It's an off switch now, so that should be a good way to end the whole series. But now I just turn to the He just goes home, turns it off. <laughs> See you later, guys. <laughs> you know what would be funny, right? Like, if this show ended with, like, there's this climactic battle, like, it's totally apocalyptic, and humanity's on the verge of being wiped out by Dolores, and then her batteries run out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the end? Like, that would be, I would, I would pay that. That would almost redeem the show. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, there's still unopened mystery boxes, but... So this is what is sad about all of this, right? Jesse Pinkman's character, Caleb, there's still a mystery box apparently about him. They introduced this mystery box because apparently he's not all that he seems to be. Like, Dolores told him apparently that he was just going to off himself, but apparently he doesn't remember his past or something. I don't entirely know. Liam Dempsey seemed to allude to the fact that Caleb doesn't know who he is. That's weird. Kind of, I guess. Yeah, are they alluding to the fact that he, yeah, that yeah, that he's the worst of all of them? <laughs> what does that even mean, right? Like, I thought his, <laughs> I thought his aim was that he was going to off himself. Or look, okay, so here, here is kind of one of my predictions. Look, to be honest, I don't really care. To be honest, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, that's I laughed as well because like, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Who cares? Right at this point. This is more just to make conversation than any, like, sort of attachment to this, right? But, like, you know, maybe what it is is actually that um, Caleb's forecast is that he's going to be involved in the destruction of humanity, right? And so after this all happens and Dolores gets what she wants, he kills himself anyway in 10 years' time because he can't live with himself for what he did. Right. Mm-hmm. So this, like, so I think you know one of the potentially one of the potentially interesting themes that will probably not really eventually eventuate is this idea of if humans know their future, can they actually change it? Right. Like it's like you know in Greek mythology and the opening sequence has the whole Icarus and the sun thing, and mm-hmm. there's the whole. So in the opening secrets, you you see that the, there's a bird flying towards the yes. sun, and, and it then, melts, and then it melts, right? So the Icarus, and then you see the host descending back into the the goop, the milk, whatever it is, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that's meant to sort of allude to Greek mythology or whatever it is. So you know, potentially this is this is sort of harkening back to Greek mythology, where there are countless stories in Greek mythology where people find out about their future from oracles and they do everything in their power to stop it but in doing so they fulfill the prophecy essentially right mm-hmm. so this idea that fate is immutable 
right? That whatever happens, you cannot change the future, right? So maybe Serac wanting to save humanity is actually him bringing about the end of humanity, right? Maybe Caleb, Caleb's thing is that in order to try to avoid this fate of him killing himself, he actually fulfills that fate. I, to be honest, this is... Potentially this could happen, as I said before, at this point, with the way this show has been executed, I don't really care, but I've put it out there anyway. <laughs> well, if people are off their loops now, then isn't the end of humanity guaranteed on the basis that there was only one, one or two ways in which humanity wouldn't end, and that's why they were put on their loops in the first place? Yeah. And now they're off the loop, so isn't that, like, mission accomplished? Yeah, like, humanity's going to win because these four kids started throwing rocks in windows. <laughs> yeah, like, what was really weird is, like, you see, like, Serac's, like... So, Serac's got his iPad of Doom, right? And on his iPad of Doom, there's a circle and a sort of a sun and then a... It's like an eclipse, right? I think that's what it's mm-hmm. supposed to be like, right? There's, like, a sort of... And when the moon is in front of the sun, apparently it's meant to symbolise that everything is okay. But the moment the move, moon moves away from the sun is meant to show that the model isn't working quite as well, yeah? But it's like... You would think that with what Dolores just did, like... The moon and the sun would completely be separated, right? The way they present it is like, that's it! Model's done! See you later! But it's not really. So, well, Ben, what's the big deal? Who cares, right? Like, it's not... <laughs> anyway. Um... What, other, what other mystery boxes do you think remain unopened? Uh, maybe the Maeve story? Oh, yes. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she's apparently still alive, according to yeah. the preview. Yeah. And she's uh, back in bloody Warworld. Who gives a rat's ass? Like, <laughs> going back to Warworld. I mean, it's like uh, it's you know this this show is turning into like like it's it's turning into Bad Groundhog Day. I mean, it, it really is just. Like, the, the creative decisions that have been made, they had two years. They had two years to make this season. You know, they sat out last year because of Game of Thrones, and 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 they could all sit back and have a laugh at just how bad a job uh, Benioff and Weiss did. And they were like, it's almost as, as if they set themselves the challenge of alienating their audiences even more than Benioff and Weiss did. And uh, I've got to say, if that was what they were looking to do, mission accomplished. What? the general public think about Westworld? Has anyone kind of looked at the reactions or do we know? I, I do. I am aware that like the general interest of Westworld seems to have declined significantly because in a lot of the mainstream pop culture sites they're no longer really putting up reviews of this show, mm-hmm. right? It's not really, these reviews are not coming up onto the front page or anything like that, which suggests yes. that like people have kind of lost interest in it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely also, because, like, I'm on YouTube listening to podcasts and that sort of thing, right? And like, I'm not seeing heaps of people talking about this show. So, yeah, I don't know. Jerry, what, what's your view? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, for some strange re- reason, the Ringer Podcast Network still has a, a weekly recap podcast about Westworld. Um, and, but, you know, so, which is odd to me, given how, like, the guys who run the Ringer, Bill Simmons and co., they are so plugged into pop culture. They are. They have such a close and instinctive awareness of what is in the zeitgeist. It just surprises me that they bother um, making a show that recaps Westworld because it seems to me 
that this show has sort of faded completely into irrelevance. And if 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 there was any if there was any signifier of the comparative decline of HBO uh, versus say Netflix, I mean you would you would just hold up as Exhibit A the final season of Game of Thrones and the extent to which Game of Thrones is no longer a feature in the cultural conversation, and Exhibit B this season of Westworld. I mean, the, you know when you look at what the the flagship series that that uh, HBO has in its stable, you like. It's looking pretty dire. Yeah. I think that basically Netflix, I feel, has a quantity over quality. Quantity and diversity over quality, right? Like yeah, Netflix sure, is a, but... But they, HBO... They much staff that like, but that, like, one thing inevitably catches on fire. Yeah. But the problem with HBO is that they're supposed to have quality, right? But recently, a lot of their shows are not... Well, Game of Thrones and Westworld, anyway, it does not feel quality. Yes, yeah. so. I mean the last, the last real HBO sort of wow, this knocked my socks off TV show was comparatively recent. It was the, it was Watchmen. Watchmen is like a towering achievement, and probably HBO's the best thing HBO's done in the last five years. But like, it, otherwise, it, the the HBO landscape looks like a complete desert. Yeah, yeah, I guess like. Yeah, there was Chernobyl last year, I guess, as well. But yeah, yeah, Chernobyl was very slow. Anyway, like this is not talking about Chernobyl. Um, okay, is there anything else we really want to chat about this episode? We're clearly hyped for the rest of this season. We're, I'm so pumped. <laughs> but we're gonna finish it. We are, we are. And look, I, I'm sad. I, I basically so last week I think Mags made the point that she wasn't going to look at this show as a intellectual show anymore. But it's not entertaining either. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can well, make our own... That's why I had to think about the Avengers. That's why I had to think about the Avengers. Happy thoughts, guys. <laughs> yeah, look, I agree it's not entertaining. So I basically now, it's not even just a dumb show. This is like... It's like when you watch really, really bad movies, right, you just start picking every conceivable plot hole. It's that sort of enjoyment, where you're yeah, enjoying it yeah, for the, like, the sheer craftness of it all. <laughs> yeah, basically, this is, this this podcast has now become an extended hate watch session. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so sad. It's so true. Oh. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they'll turn it around next week. Yeah, I'll try to be open-minded. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Okay, thanks everyone for joining me tonight and we'll see everyone next week. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.